This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Nothing like a little bit of Saturday morning shoveling. The SMS to get your adrenaline flowing, your heartbeat, uh, restores your, uh, you know, the tone to your body, the soreness to your back, your hamstrings get tight. You get uh, anxiety. Maybe you're a, you get anxiety. You get a little triggered once in a while. Are you one of those triggered people? You, you would have felt triggered thinking, I'm going to get all this shoveling done, and then my driveway is just going to get snowed right in again by the plows. I don't know what time the plows came by your house. They came by my house around 1 o'clock, and we all it just went out there again, and, um, and people got their snowblowers fired up, and, uh, and we all shoveled. It's weird how that works itself out. Now, We got what we were supposed to get, that's for sure, on Friday night. And Friday night, I don't know that that it made sense for a lot of people to carry on as normal on Friday evening, so they didn't. But I want to talk about Saturday. I didn't hear this until around 4 o'clock on Saturday when the sun was shining. There's no precipitation in the air. Remember, when we woke up Saturday morning... Still a little bit of snow happening. Still some flurries coming down 7 or 8 o'clock in in the a.m. But by 9 or 10 o'clock, that was over. So what did I do? I watched um, early. The early Premier League game was great. Sometimes if it's at 7.30, I won't get up for it. But I watched Man City play Newcastle. And then I'm like, okay, that's enough of that. Time to go outside. Cat's been on my lap for an hour and a half. Uh, My, you know, lower extremities are all numb from the cat, I should point out. He's like 18 pounds. What am I supposed to do? It's like having a kettlebell on your lap. You go outside and you shovel and you get everything done. And then at one o'clock, as I said, the plow comes by and it, it shovels you in. And then you go out and you help uh, other people. And, and you know, you look at the other. You're very masculated by the other neighbors that have snowblowers, but you're working also. So it feels OK. But then I hear as I'm driving my son to work. I mean, yeah, I took my life into my own hands on the bare roads uh, and walking past the non-snow-covered sidewalks uh, to our car, and I drove him to his job, which is his job, and it was open. It's a private business. And I thought, not only will I drive my son to his job, but I'm going to go for a run at the gym. The gym employees of, of Lifetime Fitness and Ajax, shouts to them, took their lives into their own hands and decided to get in their cars in brilliant sunshine, no less, and no precipitation, and on bare roads. Did I mention the bareness of the roads? Okay. Um, it was like they were pleasantly waxed with dry things. Bare. So they go on the roads and they're perfectly fine and happy and they get there. And then I hear on the radio, the thing you're listening to right now, that everything public in Toronto was closed. Not just for the morning Saturday, but all day and all of the night, to quote the kinks. You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. I hear from parents. So I asked this question on Twitter. I swear I just heard Toronto arenas were closed today, like for the full day and night because of last night's snowstorm. Can someone confirm or debunk? And I got this litany of responses. Uh, It was, if you get over 100, it's a litany. Had lifeguard, my kids had lifeguard training at 7 o'clock. The roads were described as dry as hell. I think, you know, it's usually the phrase hot as hell, but dry works only to find that the center is closed. People had dance recitals canceled. Our own Dave Bradley has uh, had something. His daughter had an appointment at 1030, and that was canceled. His son had snowboarding, and a bus came. He drove his son to the bus before 7 a.m., again, taking his life into his own hands. 
and, uh, and, and got his kid to the bus and his kid had the best snowboarding day. What is going on here? Is this about the city of Toronto? Is this about the times we live in? And isn't this what makes people in every other city in Canada giggle endlessly at, at who, we've, who we are and who we've become? GTHL games were canceled. I was trying to get a guy on to, to talk about it, but he brought his entire team down from North Bay, like bantam age kids, 13, 14, and they stayed in a hotel and they knew the weather would be bad. So they come to Toronto. I don't even know the team they were playing, but they come to Toronto and check into the hotel by 4.30 before the storm. Guys, it's going to be a big storm. We won't be going out. We won't be going to the Eden Center. We're just going to stay at the hotel, hang out at the pool. Parents can, you know, drink Labatt 50 in the hallway. The stuff you do when you're a minor hockey person. They canceled their 5 p.m. game yesterday on Saturday. They canceled a 5 p.m. game. And the team found out about it around 9 o'clock after they've checked into their hotel. Anybody going to refund them their money? Nope. By the way, anybody going to give the lifeguards their part-time job money who were supposed to take care of the pools or the Zamboni drivers or the scoreboard operators at all these games or personal trainers that had appointments at, uh, at, the, at the city's uh, recreational centers? Nope, nope, and nope. Only public things were closed on Saturday. Nothing private. Nothing private would have been closed. Did you have trouble getting around the city on Saturday that I don't know about? You can text me if that's the case. 416-870-6400. I thought it was lunacy to close all of the city's rec centers. The roads were fine. Everything was open. Malls were open. Restaurants were open. Buses were operating. The GO train was fine. The TTC was fine. They even canceled, canceled construction on some TTC lines to keep the subways open so that people could move from point A to B and they sh- and they shelve everything else. We want to find out who's responsible for this. We want to find out what the motivation was. I can't figure this out for the life of me. There were zero driving issues out there on Saturday after around 8.30. So it's we, we've been in the same longitude and latitude for a billion years. A billion and it's like we, we act like we're the U.S. Virgin Islands that gets uh, 25 inches of snow dumped on them instead of Tirana, where we're used to 25 uh, centimeters of snow that happens sometimes. Like, what are we doing? 612 on Toronto today. Um, let's check in with Shiva Siddiqui. Am I nuts about Saturday? Am I wrong about Saturday? No, not at all. I don't understand why anything was closed on Saturday. Um, my daughter had a hockey game. So we, we were at facilities. I mean, obviously, we're not in the city of Toronto. So we everything was open for us. And, and there was snow everywhere. Yeah. It took forever to get the car out of the driveway. Sure, but everything was open. And I thought, I told her, hockey's canceled tomorrow. And she was like, no. And I'm like, she's like I should go to bed early. Because I said, no. I said, you can stay up late. There's no hockey tomorrow. I'm telling you, they're going to cancel your game. And lo and behold, right that morning, she's like, I told you, mommy. <laughs> so she went to her hockey game. So she was right. Yeah. And uh, and, and I don't I don't get um, the... Oxbridge um, is about north of, uh, is north like Durham region. And so my friend's team in Ajax, he coaches the team, was supposed to go up to Oxbridge and play Friday night at 8 o'clock. And obviously it's Friday night at 8 o'clock, so early in the afternoon they canceled that game. I have no issue with that. And they just played it Saturday night at 8 o'clock. They just moved everything back a day. But the idea that 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 game would have been canceled on Saturday night at 8 o'clock, which is what they did, in the city of Toronto. Here's their announcement. Due to severe weather, recreation centers and indoor arenas will be closed on Saturday, March 4th. Instructional and drop-in programs as well as permits are canceled and classes will be made up at the end of the session 
where possible. And I don't, like you said, I don't know that we did this anywhere else. Doesn't even make sense. And for me, that means that they anticipated they wouldn't have the roads cleared within 24 hours. Because the snow would have stopped. We knew the, the snow was That's stopping a great Saturday point. morning. So they knew, hey, we can't get it together to clear off your roads, your sidewalks, your driveways. So it is what it is. So every forecast said, I, look, I, I even have your, I've got your back Toronto planning people if the storm was supposed to roll into, into the afternoon on, on Saturday. But the temperature was supposed to be four degrees, and it was. And the storm was supposed to end in the morning, and it did. And it was sunny out, and the snow started to melt. So everybody, I, I, the city was kind of caught with its pants down in January of 22 with the storm, mm-hmm. but I don't know what they could have done with that volume of snow. So now I feel like they've, they've, they've boomeranged Sheba to do something so preemptive, and they've never done anything preemptive like this before. I've mm-hmm. never heard of it. No. I've never heard of, of, of this before. It doesn't even make sense. And for all those people who came from out of town for whatever to use the facilities, you know, with their teams, it's such an inconvenience. Yeah, there's hockey playoff games with out-of-town visitors. There's people that plan long events. My wife had an appointment downtown at 9 o'clock on Friday, and she went to it. You were out as well Friday night at something that they didn't cancel. I was. I had a gala to go to at this huge banquet hall, and I thought, are they going to cancel it? All week I was thinking, but it's expensive. I don't think a, a, a facility gives you, a banquet hall gives you your money back. And it was huge. It was like seven, 800 people. Uh, so, But I'll be honest with you, though. I was looking forward to it. I was excited about it. I pulled out my best heels only because I wasn't driving. It was my husband driving. And I looked at him and I said, I'm really glad you're coming tonight because this means I can get dropped off right at the front <laughs> in my heels. I'm going to get, you know, you're, I know him. He's going to have to go it after because he's a lovely husband and clean off the entire vehicle and pull it up to the front so we can all get in. So for that reason, but it was a treacherous drive home. But I was on my phone. I was relaxed. I was you know, tweeting away, reading tweets. It's like you're a prone personal Uber driver. Did you, <laughs> I'm did you telling tip you, him? I tell you, I take it for granted that. But he, but I mean, for him, it was, he's used to it. For me, I don't think I would have driven in that weather. Yeah. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. Our guest on the line right now uh, is Toronto City Councilor Josh Matlow. Um, he joins us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Um, how was your uh, how was your shoveling, snow-blowing experience Saturday morning? Oh, well, I think it's been out for almost all of us. It's been a combination of digging ourselves out and then also, uh, you know, helping out our neighbors. And uh, uh, even when my family and I went for a walk, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times we just found somebody who was just sort of in a situation. Uh, you know, there was a woman who couldn't even get her car out of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of her own street and a bunch of us went and helped her push. And that's, I mean, that's amazing that, Torontonians do that for each other, but at the end of the day, it it really would be more helpful if our city had a more competent um, weather plan to be able to uh, you know help us dig out of uh, the snow that falls. And it often, uh, you know, far too often uh, comes down to Torontonians uh, just trying to get the job done themselves, which is important and is great. But there are many cases where we've got roads or entire stretches of sidewalks that haven't been cleared even days after storms and that's not acceptable now make the make the distinction between sidewalks sidewalks if i come out of union station and i'm walking uh, up uh, east west on front street or queen or king yeah like like that's the city has a job to do there but in front of residences it's pretty it's pretty well documented though that if you own the home you take care of the sidewalk so uh, yes and no. Um, the um, you know if there's only um, if there's only uh, you know a little bit of snow that's different. But uh, you know after a storm, no, the city does have a responsibility to uh, clear the sidewalk. And in fact, it was I actually moved the motion 
uh, and, and advocated um, uh, for years to expand sidewalk snow clearing to areas of the city that didn't have it before. So uh, residents can't expect that the city will come and, and clear the sidewalk. What's, now, the, what's the amount what of snow? I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact number of centimeters, um, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you, Greg. But yeah. um, there's, there's, a, there's a threshold, there are guidelines. And uh, in most cases, certainly after, after a large snowfall, the city should come and, and clear your sidewalk. I just think we're we're all um, ready, like something's just over. It's like being a parent. All of a sudden you're like, oh, this feels different than it did yesterday. I think when we become mm-hmm. a homeowner, too, or when we rent and we're looking for our landlords, we're like when there's snow, you handle the sidewalk. They're going to plow the roads and then they're going to blo- yeah. even if you plow your driveway out, they're going to block your driveway is going to get blocked in by the plows. Well, yeah. And then you go back. We're all ready to go back out there a second time. And like you said, yeah. help those that might be elderly, help those that are an able body like it's it does create that sense of community. But most of us are ready for that, I think. Yeah, you know, there's there's uh, so I think the reason that you that you assume that many parts of the city uh, uh, would you know rely on. Uh, residents and, and property owners themselves to clear the snow is that up until a couple of years ago that 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 was that was the standard that's what was expected, and we're still expected to make sure that that our walks are clear and accessible. That being said, though, uh, in the last couple of years, we did, due to the advocacy that I mentioned, we have expanded uh, sidewalk snow clearing to every neighborhood in the city, which is important because, um, you know, yes, we need to clear the roads, of course, but we also need to make sure that our sidewalks are accessible, whether you are somebody in a wheelchair, your uh, you know, young parent trying to push a stroller, mm. uh, senior with mobility challenge. We want, our, we want our city to be safe and accessible for everyone. And uh, if, you know, if the sidewalk hasn't been cleared, that can make or break whether or not somebody can even you know, leave their neighborhood. I mean, it really can be if they've got a mobility challenge. So that's why uh, the city is supposed to do it. The problem is, is that you know, what we've experienced storm after storm after storm is that even though the city puts up advertising saying the winter's coming and the city of Toronto is ready and we're ready to do this and we're, we're, we're organized, it's not, of course they can't do it like while the snow is falling, nor should they. Yeah. But days afterward, sometimes even weeks afterward, there are still streets and sidewalks that have not been cleared. That's not acceptable. And a lot of people sort of, you know, <laughs> kind of feel like, you know, the city's mm. big strategy is just wait till it melts. And that's, I mean, that's not good enough. Um, so I didn't know until maybe four o'clock, uh, you know, I'm out in, in the eastern uh, eastern suburbs. So I hear at four yeah. o'clock that Toronto um, the arenas were closed. Every public built libraries are closed. And I hear people couldn't go to dance recitals. They couldn't go to hockey games. Like you said, you, you were out with your family for a walk. It was beautiful yeah. in the yeah. it, by, by about 10 o'clock. There was no precipitation. Weren't we a little I couldn't. I thought that was nuts. I, I think that's a little presumptuous to close things for the entire day on Saturday. What's your thought on it? I mean, I I, I haven't heard the city staff's take on that. There, you know, they're, they're given given the magnitude of the storm and what they were expecting. Sometimes I understand that you sort of want to decide on on the air of caution, and I get that because you don't want people out on the roads as well. Um, so I, you know, obviously I'd want to speak with them before I, I opine too strongly because I'd want to, you know, I'd want to be informed about how they arrived there. That being said though, um, you know, my, my real focus is on the, the standards that we need to meet when we have extreme weather in the city. And I just don't, I'm not convinced based on the evidence that I've seen that the city of Toronto does a good enough job. And what I've seen over and over again is that in the aftermath of big winter storms, 
you will we'll see that, you know, the former mayor did this, uh, others will too. They'll, they'll go on TV and they'll talk about what an awesome job the city is doing and everything's great. But if you live on your street and you look out your window or you try to get your car out or you try to walk on your sidewalk, you know the reality is very different. And I, I think I just don't accept that a Canadian city shouldn't be able to competently uh, respond to uh, big, you know, winter weather events. And like, I, I, I know that we can do better, but it comes down to policy. It comes down to the standards that we set and that we invest in. And from what I hear from Torontonians, I mean, and I'm one of them, and I feel this way myself. Mm-hmm. I know that we can do better, and I'm willing to uh, to invest in that service because it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a basic for for a big Canadian city. When we have a late June election, if you are to run or not run for mayor, are you hopeful at the minimum, whether you do or not? Josh, that this will end up being an election issue. It's easy. I think seasonal things kind of can, you know, change our perspective a little bit and you forget what it's like living in the heart of winter when (laughs) people are going to be out campaigning in late May and early (laughs) June. But you have to remind people how what our winters are like here in Toronto, I think, during the election. Yes, no, what we we will we will have other, you know, other things to talk about when it comes to the weather. That's who we are. That being said, though, uh, it's not just out snow clearing. I mean, the reality is uh, we have had, uh, you know, mayors and and uh, you know civic leaders who will get up and just keep talking about how great everything is and you know John Tory would go on the TV every day and just talk about how 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 amazing uh, the city is doing the reality is that's not that's not the truth like whether it be snow clearing whether it be the maintenance of our parks the the, the bathrooms are often broken they're not winterized uh, the, the garbage cans on our main streets are all busted and looking like just crap I mean it's it, it, we have an amazing city, and 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 th- there's so much promise, but we are allowing like the road, the infrastructure to to uh, to crumble. The services are declining because we're not maintaining them. Like we're not actually investing in the basic priorities that Torontonians have, and uh, you know, let alone addressing the root causes of the violence that we're experiencing on the transit system and in our neighborhoods. I mean, real things that mm. we're not doing because the former mayor and the majority of council, his allies. I don't believe made the right decisions. And so, you know, in whatever capacity, I think we need to challenge the city to do better, whether it be snow clearing mm-hmm. or a long list of other things that I, I want to see Toronto do well at, because it means that then people in Toronto are doing well. Yeah. And, and, and you love your city. You've been here a long yeah. time. Let, I got 30 seconds. Yeah. Are you, I think we'll think we've talked for two weeks. Are you closer to making a decision about running? Or are you exactly where you were two weeks ago when we talked? Um, <laughs> I, I, oh gosh, I, I, I always, the, the problem with answering this question well is because I like being like really, you know, candid about exactly where I'm at. And the thing with these kind of announcements is that you have to do them well and you've got to do it at the right time. Um, the best way to put it while not hedging too much is that I absolutely am actively exploring a mayoral run because mm-hmm. of all the reasons that I just stated and more. Um, but, you know, the ultimate decision and the ultimate announcement will have to be sort of made in the right way and at the right time. And obviously, you know, knowing that I've got the organization that I believe can win. I think you know that our show is probably the right venue. I think you I think you you don't want to be too cagey or dodgy about that. I think it's in studio with us on our show. I think I think we're in just wink and nod if you like on the radio. No one will know if you're actually doing that. Um, uh, OK, okay. I, 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 will, I will make facial expressions right now. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck oh, with the uh, pending decision. And uh, thanks for weighing in on what we experienced uh, this weekend. I appreciate it.
Thanks. Always great. Thank you. Josh Matlow joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Because we had this pending storm Friday, that kicks some things out of the news cycle. And, and I don't want this important story not to be in the news cycle. So let me reset it. Friday, the uh, Ontario Nurses Association said that contract talks between themselves as nurses uh, and the Ontario Hospital Association have broken down. So they'll go to arbitration. They started talking about six, seven weeks ago, um, and mediation had started Wednesday, but no deal ended up um, getting reached. So um, this is certainly an issue. It affects 60,000 registered nurses, many of whom are at their wits' end. Um, you know where I stand on on Bill 124. Um, it never should have existed. The Ford government wins another majority. They should have repealed it the very first day they got another majority government. Um, and I think it's there's even people, that I think, that have voted for Doug Ford that Bill 124 frustrates dramatically, maybe even some nurses for that matter. Uh, joining us to discuss is Bernie Robinson, interim president of the Ontario Nurses Association. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time for us. Good morning, Greg. Where do you think this goes now? I, I see that May ha- has some potential for uh, arbitration. Um, is it possible to get back to the table sometime? Uh, eight weeks is a long time to go with, with no talks. Yeah, no, uh, I would not say that it is possible. I mean, unless the OHA wants to come back with a respectful um, offer to us, uh, I would say that we are going to be at the hands of the arbitrator. Is there an offer that the Ontario Nurses Association have put forward? I I link this to sort of how the QP talks were um, for the education workers, where somehow, some way, all those offers that what QP wanted got into the public sphere and I actually think it helped them a little bit to eventually land a deal. What do the nurses want? Yeah, so we have put uh, forward an offer that we we think will help retain our nurses uh, currently in the system. We'll bring some nurses back mm-hmm. that have left because of the disrespectful wages and working conditions and hopefully attract new nurses into the profession. How many? Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you there. Yeah, so um, this was actually met with um, complete disregard from the OHA, who takes their marching orders from the government. And we are, um, you know, we are extremely um, frustrated and upset that they have not recognized the work that um, nurses do and other healthcare professionals. And we really hope that uh, the public will get behind us. This is what I've, I've been saying this on the radio for some time um, is and, and it's not just say like the CEO of the OHA, uh, Anthony Dale. But I look at other hospital CEOs, Bernie, and I wonder where's where's their level of, of public scrutiny when I have politicians on from the Ontario NDPs to the liberals. I'm like, I, I get that they're you know, their guns are going to be pointed, if you will, at the Ford government for Bill 124. But I'm also saying the people that run these hospitals who get all this public funded money who pay themselves and a lot of other VPs exorbitant salaries, where's their accountability in public scrutiny? Yeah, I think we all uh, wonder what, where that, um, you know, where that responsibility is or, you know, where that, that they stand morally on this issue. Um, for nurses today, um, we know, we know what uh, the system needs. The system needs more nurses and healthcare professionals to be able to uh, provide the care that Ontarians deserve. 
your industry, um, when we talk about the health and the balance, um, if I made the case that we've got the pandemic issues a lot more in the rearview mirror than we did 18 months ago, we could argue about whether where it is compared to 12 months ago. Um, are, are a lot of them feeling more settled in the workplace environment? Or has it been the toll of what they had to do during the pandemic that still ends up being a factor? It's one thing to bang pots and pans and for the premier to say, these are our healthcare heroes. But as you know, um, and you've used the word a couple of times, there's just been a level of disrespect since we've, we've gotten to better times, I would make the case. Yeah, um, the, the working conditions have not improved at all. Uh, despite, you know, having worked through this pandemic, um, we now have uh, less nurses at the bedside. We have many vacant positions across uh, the province. Um, just speaking with one of my um, smaller hospitals where there's 500 nurses and there are 98 open nursing positions at that hospital. This is not um, uncommon across Ontario. Bernie Robinson's a registered nurse, uh, interim president of the Ontario Nurses Association. I watch what's happening in the UK, for example, and I know that nurses and, and ambulance staff and some doctors have been able to go on strike. If you could go on strike, w- would you have by now? Like that would get the public's attention. I would hope it would get the government's attention. Yes. So on Thursday, we held a huge rally uh, in downtown Toronto outside the Sheraton, and then we marched to Queen's Park. We had many, many supporters out there on the streets with us that day. I will say that uh, this will not be our last action of this uh, magnitude. Um, We had to hit the streets 50 years ago. Ona is 50 Mm -hmm. years young uh, this year. We had to hit the streets 50 years ago for better wages, better staffing, and better care for the residents of Ontario. And it's very sad that 50 years later, we are out there having to do the same thing. So would you go out if you could? If we could, we would we would strike. Because I, I, I watched the QP rallies. I'll bring up QP again. I watched the rallies. I watched all the support. I watched, you know, every, everybody show and galvanized for those protests in the fall. And I'm thinking... I'm not saying that that the QP workers or, or teachers in general um, don't deserve the best working conditions and, and the best wages we can give them. But I think they're getting attention that that I wish the nurses would get. And they're getting attention because they're able to utilize a day of action and it affects every household when there's no school. But we don't get that same kind of spotlight with with healthcare. We don't. That's right. We have a mediation arbitration process, which has been in place since the late 60s. And it's not net, it's now not working when, um, you know, after 10 years, we have all we have had is arbitrated settlements for the nurses of Ontario. Mm. The system is clearly broken and we need to really, um, you know, stand up and fight back against something that's not working anymore. So, Bernie, I've, I've brought this up. I, I look and this is my perspective is I think our system we can't keep going with where we're going here. And that raises the specter of privatization. But I do a lot of the looks into the deeper dives into what European countries do, not the States, but European countries. And they've figured this out and they've somehow found a way to create a model that seems to work for everybody that doesn't let anybody fall through the safety net. But also why would we give things free to people who make a quarter of a million dollars? Do you look at any form of what the Ford government's doing and say, 
well, there's some there's some argument here to giving people choice near the especially near the end of their lives when they've done everything right for six, seven decades. I think we need to tweak things a little bit. It just may not be exactly the way the government's doing it. Well, I believe in public health care. Um, we had uh, many people fight for public health care <clears throat> historically. Mm. And I, I honestly do not think privatization is the answer for the majority of Canadians. Why not? I just think that it disadvantages people. The people with money will get the care they they want, and the people without will sit waiting in a public system that's been underfunded. But I'd make the case there's European countries where that's not happening. I, I get it. In the, you know, I lived in the United States. I know what it, I know what it's like for people who fall through the cracks, and we can't become that. But I also would make the case that if you do everything right, you, you, people are people are making these choices, Bernie, aren't they? They're going to the states for surgeries. They're flying to Europe uh, for surgeries or they're not getting them and their quality of life suffers. And I don't want to see that happen. I think we got to give people some choices here. So if we enter into a system like that, it has to be well thought out. It has yeah. to be well planned. And we have not had enough um, like input into that as nurses. We've not had any choices in what this Ford government has done. And I don't really truly think that they have actually planned this out in, in a way that will benefit mm. all. I, no, and I get that there's a, there's a trust issue. What are the next steps here? I bring up May. Let me circle back around to the start of the conversation. Um, wh- what would bring things back to a bargaining table before May? A respectful offer from the uh, OHA. Just that simple. Okay, Bernie, thanks so much. I I appreciate you giving an update, and I want to keep a lens on this important story for you uh, and the rest of your workers. Thanks so much for this. Thank you so much for having me and for keeping our uh, issue in the forefront. Yeah, Bernie Robinson, registered nurse, uh, interim president of the ONA. Look, it's it's very, very tricky here, and and I, you know, I know I'm bringing names up when I bring up CEOs like Anthony Dale and, you know, CEO, CEO of Sick Kids, Ronald Cohn, but I'm also... There's a big reason why they don't speak out about conditions, um, because it would it would shine some light, some negative light on how things are structured. These hospitals aren't run like private businesses. If so, they'd go out of private business. That's the whole point. So it's amazing, too, that you get a lot of these CEOs and they gave a lot of public statements on pandemic restrictions, gave a lot of statements about lockdown measures. What do they think about Bill 124? Crickets. What do they think about nurses leaving the industry? Crickets. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of people that have sort of inched up the healthcare administration ladder. And I'm not saying that they don't deserve their jobs. I'm not even saying they don't deserve their salaries. But they are very reticent and hesitant to weigh in on actual practical issues when it comes to their employees. And to me, I won't say that's not leadership, but it lacks an element of leadership where you want to keep good people. You want to intrinsically bring good people to your workplace and keep them happy. They don't get everything they want. They don't get maybe most of what they want. But you keep them satisfied so they stay in the in the business, let alone in the industry. When you see the same stories I saw in the winter of people going and working at, I'm not diminishing waiting tables at Boston Pizza or working at Costco. But when you see a TV news story on on global news or you read about it in the papers and here's someone saying, I now work at Costco and my life is better and I make about the same amount of money. Well, then we're not doing something right when it comes to health care. That said, I'm pressing Bernie on that and I'm I'm 
going, let me get this straight. No other country um, adopts our system. No other country looks and says, you know what we need more of? Canadian healthcare in our country's healthcare system. No one in Europe's saying that. No one is. So wouldn't it benefit the nurses? Isn't part of the problem, not just your your relationship with the government, not just your negotiations with the government and the OHA, but isn't it the system, period? Don't you need more funding brought in um, via some systems that would create wealth within the system that's better distributed so nurses can get theirs? That's what I would see. Um, we should talk to nurses in Germany and Italy and Spain and Sweden and Denmark because they've, they've figured it out and they've figured out the way of life that is better for them. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. You sent this out to us um, during as the Chris Rock show was wrapping up. We talked about sort of the impact of Chris. I don't think Chris Rock could have played this better. He waited this out. He's about a year removed from the Oscars. The Oscars are next weekend. And like you said, you went and saw him in the summer, paid top dollar, and it gave you a little tease, right? A little tease, a little taste of talking about about getting smacked by Will Smith, but he saved the 10 minutes for when Netflix would write him a big check to do it on Saturday night with a live show. He's done this brilliantly, and the things he said he wasn't going to do, he kind of called out the idea of professional victimhood, which there certainly is that in our society, and he said, I'm not going to sit down with Oprah or Gail King. I love that, by and, the way. And be and, and he, he said, I'm not a victim baby. And I think he meant victim baby like one thing, not victim comma baby. But you want you know he's not going on those shows. He's like, forget it. I took that punch like Manny Pacquiao and I moved on. I love that he said that. I love that he that's how he's approaching it. Uh, and he's you know honestly he's cashing in. Who wouldn't cash in if you're in Chris Rock's position? That's right. Right. I mean he and I have to say he went on tour for his first comedy special after that happened and. His venues were sold out after that. I mean, tickets were doing mm-hmm. okay until he got punched in the face by Will Smith, and then it was just sold out everywhere. But when I did see him last summer at Scotiabank Arena, he did not talk about. He said, "Listen, I'm still processing it. Uh, I will talk about it eventually, but just right now, I'm, I just need to just sort through it." So Will Smith is at the peak of critical acclaim yes. with King Richard, and he's going to win. He shows up that night, and everybody knows he's winning. He was the most obvious winner in any category. Will Smith is winning tonight for playing Serena and Venus's dad, Richard Williams, and King Richard. For the first time ever. Right. Yes. And, then, and, and, and then this happens. Now, you think his career is toast. I think he's done. I think well, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. I thought that he was, and there's a big divide here, and there's also a big divide between black Hollywood and white Hollywood in this situation from what I'm reading a lot of the think pieces that are out a lot of the opinions that are out um, a lot of black celebrities who have come forward and they're supporting Will Smith so there is that divide as well you have to take that in consideration uh, and and Chris Rock's final joke about uh, before he dropped the mic and he said you know my mother taught me not to fight in front of white people and that I mean do you know what that means do you understand the history of that the background yeah. of that yeah Right. So, I mean, it's it's in terms of being united because of everything that's happened to them, you know, in the last uh, several hundred years. So it's just you, you stay united. You sort your stuff out in private, not like that on a public stage, on the public stage for film. But I think uh, it's amazing at the time when I think about all, all the reaction to it uh, and you couldn't escape the reaction to it for the for maybe a week and a half after it happened. And because, especially because both sides stayed so quiet about it. But the idea, we had people probably calling the show, and I bet you we had guests on who were like, oh, I get why Will Smith did that. I'd want my husband to do that. Or I would do that if someone insulted my... No, you wouldn't. 
You wouldn't. And he did document two things. It, Chris Rock did. That Will Smith's m- a much larger man. And if you saw the postgame <laughs> show afterwards, they were interviewing um, NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I don't know what he was doing there because Kareem's a very reticent you know, peaceful man. And he was kind of digging in on some of the jokes that some of the other panelists were. David Spade was there. Arsenio Hall was there. And so I I was fascinated by that aspect. But Kareem said, well, he wouldn't have come up and punched me. And we, you and I discussed this. Would he have gone up and punched a white man? I don't know. What if a white man had come up and punched Chris Rock? Or what if it was Russell Crowe? The whole Denzel reaction's Washington. different. Denzel Washington, great yes. example. Right? I mean, I don't think he would have done it. I think he specifically chose Chris Rock. And Chris talks about this on that special. He talks about the last 10 minutes of it. He says that this is selective outrage on Will's part. He has a partner, Jada, who stepped out on him, who had an affair with their son's friend. And now if the roles had been reversed and if if Will had an affair with their daughter's friend, I think we would be having a completely different conversation. So Jada did have an affair with their son's friend and Will was mocked by everyone. When this and then, then then they came out on Red Table Talk on Facebook, her show, and they spoke about it. And he she asked him, Hey, how did my affair make you feel? Well, what do you think? How do you think it makes someone feel? I find it was very humiliating for him. And I think that Chris seems to think that he took all of his frustration out on Chris that night. I think there's some unable, accuracy to that. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. He's just been smiling and he had this book that came out. His career was on fire. He was winning. He was going to win the Oscar. And then he goes and he does this. And I feel like he did this to himself. I feel like he blew himself up. Uh, there's a lot of emotion there. Neither of them believes in divorce, Jada or Will. Are Will Smith's infidelities doc- like documented also, no, though? absolutely but not. But they did happen. They, yeah, I, I, mean, I see on Wikipedia, both he and Pinkett Smith have admitted <laughs> to having extramarital relationships and believing in the freedom to pursue them. Here's and you this. know who the number one rumor is for Will, right? Tell me. The blonde. What's her name? The blonde. Um, Margot, Margot Robbie? Robbie. Yes, Margot Good Robbie. Good job, Gord, getting that out. <laughs> I, I, I'm reading this. Smith had said he wanted a polyamorous relationship with actress Halle Berry and ballerina Misty Copeland, but ultimately abandoned the idea after therapy. I don't even know how to unpack that sentence. But but bottom line. Here's a fun fact. Yeah. I've been out to dinner in Toronto with Will and Jada's therapist, their marital therapist. <laughs> <laughs> And what are those? What's that conversation? What's that dinner like? Oh, it was amazing. She's so professional. She would never talk about it. Um, no, Esther Perel. We went to as a, much as you would probably prod her to talk about it. No, I didn't even. You've I knew got not that to. investigative. I, I thing she's about such. You. She's so professional. We went to Toronto and Adelaide. Mm. Uh, she's actually a friend of my husband's. This is like the six years of separation, and so we went out there, and and then it came out. She actually, I didn't know at the time we were having dinner, and she's just an amazing, incredible woman. And it came out at the time, a few months later, that she's actually their marital therapist. Okay, after 8.30, we've got to unpack why you think his career is in tremendous jeopardy. Why it's done, it's over. Why won't he keep making movies and get and, and box office hits and $10 million? Like, who's not going to go and see these movies? I think it may, I will say this, I think it may be hard to do comedy again. I think he may need to be like a serious, serious actor and do more of the last couple of movies that he's done.